This is the Heritage Radio News, bringing you top food stories from down the street and around the world with your Heritage Radio News team, Erica Wides, Patrick Martins, Jack Kinsley on sports, and Mike Edison on weather. Welcome to Heritage Radio Network News. I'm Erica Wides. Today is May 12th. 2016. Sitting in with me co-anchoring the show today is Patrick Martins. Hi, Erica. Hi, Patrick. He's back. Patrick's back. And uh, our top stories this week coming up, sugar, sugar, honey, honey. And why does winning the biggest loser still actually give you a net gain, not a net loss? Uh, I don't know. It's kind of confusing. But uh, Jack, what have you got for us from the world of sports? Athletes are testing positive for steroids, Erica, and you'll never guess why. But oh, I'll tell you later. I, I can't even imagine, but uh, I don't even want to speculate. And uh, also coming up later, a special live report from our own weatherman, Mike Edison, from foggy San Francisco. On location. On location in foggy San Francisco. And now for our top story this week. The evidence can't be clearer that consuming high fructose corn syrup paves the road to diabetes and obesity. Rising rates of those diseases parallel the increase in consumption of the syrupy sweetener. But new evidence now also shows the damage that fructose may be doing to our genes and our brains, not just our guts and our hearts. According to a new study funded by the National Institutes of Health, fructose may be responsible for disrupting genes that cause Parkinson's disease, depression, bipolar disorder, and other brain diseases. Fructose itself is consumed via other sources other than high fructose corn syrup, most notably fruit. But it's the amount of extra fructose from beverages, juices, and juice drinks that's an issue for Americans. The Department of Agriculture estimates that Americans consumed an average of 27 pounds of high fructose corn syrup in 2014. High intake of fructose increases levels of toxic molecules in the brain that damage communication between cells. The effect compounds over time, so eating a diet loaded with high fructose corn syrup could conceivably reduce the brain's learning and memory capacity. Rats in the study consume the equivalent of a liter of soda a day. A control group group drank only water. Both groups were then trained to run a maze, and it took the fructose-consuming group twice as long to navigate the maze as the water-only group, indicating impaired memory. The fructose rats also had much higher blood glucose, triglycerides, and insulin levels. Fernando Gomez-Pinilla, a UCLA senior author of the, of the paper, says, Food is like a pharmaceutical compound that affects the brain. And in this case, fructose and HFCS seem to be a compound that we'd all be better off avoiding. Wow, that really gets you to think uh, scary thoughts about the food supply. Are they finding other connections between foods and changing genes in the body while the person's alive? Uh, I can't really speak to that, but I know that this uh, this study is, is showing you know, gene damage uh, on the molecular level in the brain from high fructose corn syrup. And there are other foods that are now... Um, being considered like obesogens and endocrine disruptors too, certain chemicals in foods, certain uh, the BPA, which lines cans, things like that. So, you know, we're really starting to see the effects of our super industrialized food system. Mm -hmm. Really goes to show that if it comes out of the soil and not out of a laboratory, you know, it's a lot safer. We were built to eat things that come out of the soil. Built to eat real food. Right. As long as it's not so heavily sprayed with uh, Roundup that... Yes, exactly. That's another science. We saw that this week with oatmeal. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, biology, actually, human biology can work against human health even in the absence of uh, 
in, in the absence of a high fructose corn syrup. So the biggest loser is a popular NBC show where contestants compete to see who can lose the most weight. And the most recent winner, Danny Cahill, lost 160 pounds. But the contestants' lives don't end when the show ends. He and most of the other Biggest Loser contestants over the years have gained much or all of their weight back that they lost on the show. Why is that? A recent study by the research journal called Obesity shows that even after you work to lose weight, the body works too and works hard to gain the weight back. Biggest Loser participants, in order to sustain their lower weight, have to eat 500 or more fewer calories a day than individuals of the very same weight who had maintained their weight for their adult lives. In short, they had to eat less than a person who weighs exactly the same as they do or else gain the weight back. The problem in the body? Well, when you lose a lot of weight, hormone levels change, metabolism slows down, and the brain becomes more aware of food. One key hormone, leptin, helps control hunger cravings and was seen in much lower levels in these contestants. This is an equation for gaining the weight back. Perhaps the biggest loser, and NBC, needs to consider the results of this study for their alumni in the same way sporting leagues like the NFL are starting to care more for the players who got them to where they are today. One of the ideas and talks is that NBC could hire personal trainers to work with their contestants even after the show. A lot of revenue is generated for the station thanks to their participation, and as Mike likes to say on the weather report, science doesn't lie. We have to keep the biggest loser folk healthy. Well, Patrick, uh, do you qualify yet to go on the biggest loser? I uh, I've been close. <laughs> they have approached me, but no, I am. Uh, don't have to worry about losing weight and then gaining it back. You're still within acceptable limits. Yes, I am barely. Right. Yeah, barely. Well, uh, you know. Uh, uh, Obesity research also is pointing to what I was talking about previously, things like obesogens and endocrine disruptors in food that seem to be really playing a huge role in the obesity epidemic. And also uh, people's gut bacteria mm. is so screwed up from a lifetime of antibiotics that they think mm. that may that also may really be a big trigger um, for obesity. So I think we're going to see a lot of interesting stuff coming out over the next couple of years in research having to do with obesity. Mm -hmm. um, you know, But a show like The Biggest Loser, I mean, it's all about dramatic results and... Mm -hmm. If you do it that quickly, it's going to come back on that quickly, too, I'm sure. So thanks, Patrick. That was a great story. We are going to take a break, and we'll be right back with our Fast Food Minute after this. Today's program has been brought to you by Cane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Cane5.com. Welcome back to Heritage Radio Network News, broadcasting from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And now for this week's Fast Food Minute, sponsored by Kane 5 Vineyard and Winery. First off, we go to Rachel, the producer. Ah, thanks, Erica. Uh, the Belgian brewery De Havamon, or the Half Moon, is almost done with a two-mile underground pipeline that will deliver beer from its manufacturing facility to the center of Bruges. The pipeline will carry 1,500 gallons of beer at 12 miles an hour. And no, the report makes a purpose to point out you can't secretly tap into it. The funding was crowdfunded with investor perks ranging from a pint of free beer to free beer for life. This is a brilliant idea from the brewery's owner, Xavier Venacete, uh, to avoid transporting the beer through Belgium's already crowded streets. I'm filing this under, why aren't they doing this here? And of course, it's Belgium. <laughs> of course. Well, another ridiculous dog food story, everybody. Uh, I did report on Carly Fiorina eating dog food, and now tennis star Serena Williams, while competing at the Italian Open, got very sick at her hotel after trying some of her dog's food. <laughs> to be fair, it wasn't kibbles and bits or Purina. This was posh hotel 
Soul Food with room service menus for dogs. She ordered a salmon and rice entree for her dog, and it looked so good that she went for it and took a spoonful. Thankfully, this is all on Snapchat for us to revisit online. Uh, saw a few videos on YouTube. It's absolutely ridiculous, but she's doing well now. Videos of her getting sick? Videos of her trying the food. She said, look how good this looks. Oh, I'm just going to take a spoonful. What would they have put in it that made her so sick? <sighs> That's the real question. And, and with what she makes, they should have just served her stuff off the regular menu. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> well, next time, stick to pizza, Serena. <laughs> Pizza Hut celebrated the fact that it now sells into a hundred countries. They have uh, outposts in over a hundred countries, and they celebrated this with a special delivery to the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro. The delivery set a Guinness World Record for the highest altitude of a pizza delivery at a height of 19,341 feet. A team of employees backpacked and hiked for six days and then shared a pie in celebration at the top. This sounds frivolous, but they also used the opportunity to raise money for the uh, for a primary school in Tanzania. Talk about fast food climbing to new heights. <laughs> Unfortunately, the person they delivered the uh, pizza to complained that they were outside their half-hour delivery rate. <laughs> <laughs> and it was probably kind of cold by well, the time I got there. Yeah. But, uh, thank you, America, for spreading your quality food around the globe <laughs> to the highest peaks and the lowest valleys. Nice. Well, uh, speaking of low valleys, in Tampa Bay, Florida... I mean, I'm only speaking altitude there. Got it. Okay, at sea level. Instead of paying cash for parking violations, soon people may be able to pay their parking tickets with canned food that will be donated to those in need. The Tampa City Council is discussing the feasibility issues and details, such as which charities would receive the food, and some council members worry that the logistics could outweigh the benefits. Under the proposed program called Food for Fines, a can of fruit, vegetables, protein, or peanut butter will knock a dollar off your ticket. The average price of a ticket is between $25 and $30 in Tampa, meaning a single ticket could really help a hungry family. Here in New York City, where parking tickets can top $200, maybe this could be the cure for, for hunger that we've been seeking for so long. Oof. Who knows? Uh, anyway, that was our Fast Food Minute for this week, brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back with news about honey in New York. Speaking of New York. Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. Welcome back to the Heritage Radio Network News from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Uh, our next story is about honey. Uh, Erica, what do you have for us? Yeah, well, this is actually a really great story. You know, usually I'm all about, like, doom and gloom and food's going to kill us all. But uh, this one actually makes me really happy because when you think of honey, do you think of New York? Patrick, do you? Mm, do you not do you? really. No. I, local honey scares me. Who knows yeah. what those birds are pollinating? <laughs> what those bees are pollinating? Exactly. Well, as a former beekeeper, I actually do think of honey when I think of New York. My Brooklyn rooftop bees, which actually got their start right here on the roof of Roberta's, were typical hardworking New Yorkers. They had to be to afford that prime Brooklyn real estate address they had. And as it turns out, my bees weren't alone because New York State is a honey-producing powerhouse. My own single hive produced over 70 pounds of honey in a single season only a few years ago. Brooklynites, always on the cutting edge. Well, now we're legit because this week, Governor Andrew Cuomo announced a 9% increase statewide in honey production in 2015, maintaining New York's status as the top honey producer in the Northeast and putting the state in the nationwide top 10 for the first time in a decade, jumping three rankings above Idaho, Georgia, and Nebraska. Woo, go New York. (laughs) 
New York beekeepers, defined by the USDA as those keeping five colonies or more, earned almost $10.6 million from their honey in 2015. That's a million-dollar increase from the year before. According to the State Department of Ag, New York honey fetches higher prices because the state's beekeepers produce not just clover, but also niche varieties like wildflower, basswood, locust, and my favorite, Brooklyn hipster. The department also credits the favorable weather last summer and early fall for the higher production and prices. Honeybees are critical to the New York State economy. They pollinate nearly half a billion dollars worth of farm crops each year, from apples to peaches to pumpkins. In addition, New York bees often travel the country during colder months, pollinating crops that grow in year-round climates like citrus and almonds, and like true New Yorkers complaining that they can't get a good bagel anywhere else. Just like my grandparents. Wow. Well, that story definitely stings for Idaho, Georgia, and Nebraska. (laughs) New York is on the rise. Well, speaking of pollinating other climates and also complaining, we have a special weather report from Mike Edison, who is on the scene in San Francisco today. Hey, Mike. Hi, Patrick. I'm calling in from San Francisco, and i got to tell you, I'm very confused. People here don't even know how to cross the street. Not like we do in New York. I mean, here, the cars stop for people. I was just standing near a corner, and I nearly caused a pileup. I wasn't even in the street. Some guy in a Prius stopped short because he thought I was going to cross the street. And in Berkeley, oy vey, I got yelled at by a jogger because I was on the wrong side of the sidewalk. There was, like, no one around, and he yelled at me. People here are crazy. And, you know, the thing here is they're living some hippie fantasy that everything is groovy. But you know what? It's not. In San Francisco, the fog is going to roll in at night, and thanks to 2016 weather patterns and global warming, when it rolls, I mean it really rolls. It's like, it's like being hit in the face with a big wet sponge. There is nothing romantic about it. So here you've got the fog. In L.A., you've got the smog. I mean, the air quality down there, it's like a national tragedy. And everyone drives around like traffic jams and filthy air are the freaking norm. And then up in Napa, people live in in fear of El Nino, the worst ever this year, wreaking havoc on the grapes and really slamming California wine production. It's not safe here. Anywhere you look. The earthquakes count as weather. I'm pretty sure I'm going to die here. Back to you. Well, that's a nice weather report to share with the kids. Wow. Yeah, wow, Mike. Uh, better well, get back to New York. Enjoy your vacation. Yes, it sounds like you're having a great time. <laughs> yes. You are definitely not cut out for California living, Mike. Wow. Well, uh, on that note, let's take a break. And when we come back, uh, Jack's going to talk to us about sports and food. We'll and be steroids. right back. And steroids. <laughs> Today's program is brought to you by the International Culinary Center. Offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit culinarycenter.com. You know what that beat is. That is the sports beat of the Heritage Radio Network News. <laughs> yes. What do you got for us today, Jax? Apparently, uh, people are eating steroids without even knowing it. Exactly, yeah. What's for dinner? Uh, for Mexican athletes, or some of them at least, it's steroids. Oh <laughs> I think the banned steroid clenbuterol, let's keep saying that throughout the story, has been making its way to athletes' dinner plates by way of livestock, Patrick. The illicit substance has been used by ranchers in Mexico to help increase meat yields. Mexican authorities inspected 200 slaughterhouses in 2015 and found clembuterol in livestock at 58 of them. I don't like those numbers. 
Those slaughterhouses were slapped with suspensions. Mexico's National Sports Commission, Canade, said Wednesday that coaches are keeping a really special watch on meat supplied to athletes ahead of the Rio de Janeiro Olympic Games. We should be conscious and careful about the kind of meat that's selected for athletes, said Canade director Alfredo Castillo. He said organic beef, chicken, fish, and pork could be explored for somewhat safer alternatives. So Clembuterol previously made headlines when shortstop for the Kansas City Royals, Raul Mondesi, tested positive for it in 2015. He said, I took an over-the-counter medication, which I bought in the Dominican Republic to treat cold and flu symptoms. This is what he said through a statement by the Players Association, of course. I failed to read the labeling on the medication or consult with my trainer or team about taking it and did not know that it contained a banned substance. I tested positive for that banned substance, which with a minuscule amount of clenbuterol in my system, which could have not possibly enhanced my performance on the field, and now I must face the consequences of that mistake. So clearly a lot of confusion here around clenbuterol, but the real story here is that there are actually athletes who are testing positive not because they misread a label or for any other reason, but because they had beef for dinner, bad beef. And that's a real personal foul on the farmers who would feed this to their animals. Hopefully nobody else falls victims to this mess, and Olympic-bound athletes stay away from that bad meat. God, the news about the Olympics, it's just kind of getting worse and worse. It, it's kind of like the weather. <laughs> yeah, there was actually a call by, I can't remember who it was, some official today said maybe they should just not do it Ooh, this year yeah. because uh, the water quality is so bad. Yep. And you've talked about that on the show before, the, yep. you know, the water that the swimmers are going to be in, the drinking water, the pollution, it's the smog. Mess. You also really covered the story, what's a McDonald's doing as the only restaurant yeah, in the Olympic Village? McDonald's mm. is like the biggest sponsor of the Olympic team. It's a real mess, unfortunately. Yeah, and I'm sure they're... Well, let's not speculate on what's in their meat. But uh, all right. Well, thanks, Jack. Always interesting when food intersects with sports and agriculture. Um, great reporting there. Thanks. Uh, we're going to uh, take another break. And when we come back, we actually have an op-ed from one of our own Heritage Radio hosts. We will be right back. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Welcome back to Heritage Radio Network News. I'm Erica Wides, along with Patrick Martins, my co-anchor, reporting from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And now, for our op-ed this week, we have Jennifer Leuzzi, host of Heritage Radio Network's show, Tech Bites. What do you got for us this week, Jen? Every Monday at 1 p.m., we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And there's no shortage of topics. We cover web tech, social media, digital marketing, food tech startups, conferences, meetups, and new apps. New technology is usually perceived as something good, positive inventions to move us forward in our lives. And in our food lives, technology is playing a critical and very positive role in information sharing across the globe, from archiving recipes and menus to preserve our food history, to farmers sharing real-time information about weather and crops, to regular folks sharing a recipe or photo of something good to eat. Technology connects us, inspires us, and in many instances, enables us to be more productive and move forward. But like most things, there's a flip side to the coin, and not all technology is great. Last year on episode 31, we had a show called Our Delivery Services Bad for Restaurants, and the true story there is restaurateurs are the ones paying for the convenience for you to get pad thai delivered to your couch. If you're not paying for convenience, like Seamless and Delivery.com, who is? It's certainly not the big third-party marketplace app. It's the little restaurant. 
restaurants pay anywhere from 125 to 25% for the pleasure of being on some of these services, and that really impacts their bottom line. And that's something that a lot of people don't really know about. So part of what we do on Tech Bytes is not just talk about the latest and the greatest, but also talk about what the real impact is and what these things actually mean. We also try and disconnect from our tech every now and again, like in this week's episode, which suggests having a full 24-hour detox from all your technology to get back in touch with your real life in the real world. If you're hungry for more and you like these topics, tune into Tech Bytes every Monday at 1 p.m. All right. Thanks, Jen, uh, tech, uh, from Tech Bytes, Jen Lauzzi, one of our Heritage Radio Network hosts. And uh, that just about wraps it up for this week on Heritage Radio Network News, a very New York-centric uh, episode. Well, we have it. a California book tour coming here with our very oh, own Mike right. Edison. Right. We have an announcement true. before our we own, leave. Our uh, own curmudgeon of a New Yorker, Mike Edison, <laughs> is uh, he's in San Francisco now, and then he hits Oakland on the 14th to L.A., and then he comes back to New York for a little while before doing what looks to be a Jersey City and Milwaukee leg of the tour. Oh, very nice. The, the, and yeah. his, his book is called uh, You're a Complete Disappointment. Right? Which yes. Mike does a great Which job Mike of living up to every good. day. Yeah, yeah, he delivers that to us every week with the weather. It's so, good stuff. Uh, yeah, you are a complete disappointment available now by our own Mike Edison. Our own Mike Edison, our adorable, cuddly weatherman. All right. Well, that's it for us this week. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Erica Wides, along with Patrick Martins, my co-anchor, Jack Inslee on sports, Mike Edison on weather, Rachel Jacobs, our producer, and Dave Tapp in the control room. Uh, if you got any ideas for stories you want to hear or you just want to make a comment, let us know. You can email us at info at heritageradionetwork.org. We'll see you next week.